Coming up on the Branding Deep Dive podcast. I, I saw some tweets where he was throwing the ideas out on Twitter and people were like, hey, that's not a good idea. He was like, how about eight, eight bucks a month? Bro, you cannot freestyle <laughs> business ideas on Twitter. You know it's, just, it's just kind of Twitter. crazy. On Twitter for Twitter. On Twitter for Twitter. <laughs> it's just so crazy that he's so rich that Twitter is his small side hustle. This is Ahmed Chima, and welcome to the Branding Deep Dive Podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast where we have in-depth discussions about what brands are doing well to drive customer loyalty and how you can take those principles and apply them to your own brand. Today, Nadim and Momo join the show for our weekly brand strategy deep dive, where every Monday we dive deep into trending topics and analyze brand strategy decisions and implications. In this episode, we dive deep into what happened on Twitter with Eli Lilly, dealing with a bunch of impersonators, and what lessons we can learn from this whole saga. If you're curious about what's been happening since Elon Musk took over Twitter, this episode is a must-listen. Now, here are Momo and Nadim. All right, guys, I got a good one for you this week. So I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but it's, it's been really big on Twitter. So Eli Lilly has been one of the casualties of what um, people are calling the Twitter blues, right? Nobody's calling that? it that. Nobody's calling it that. You're calling it that. <laughs> no, no, I, th- I think I saw an article with someone calling it the Twitter blues. So basically, long story short, here's what happens. Um, you guys know Elon Musk took over Twitter a couple weeks ago. One of the things he instituted, one of the policies he did was that anyone can get one of those blue verified checks if they pay $8 a month uh, for uh, what's called Twitter blue, right? And so then once you pay that $8 fee, you get uh, that check, right? Your verified account, basically. So what happens with Eli Lilly is their official Twitter account is called LillyPad, okay? So someone gets the Twitter handle like Eli Lilly and Co., gets the check, pays $8 to get the check, and then tweets out, insulin is now free, Right? <laughs> And for those, a moment, maybe you can touch on like the reality of how much insulin costs as you know someone in the pharmacy space. But insulin is not free. Insulin is <laughs> definitely not free. It's, uh, it's pretty expensive. Yeah. How yeah, expensive, Momo? Usually like two hundred, three hundred dollars without insurance, stuff like that. Like a vial okay. for like a month's supply. Yeah. So now this basically, like this tweet picked up. Like it went viral, basically. And people are retweeting it, sharing it, all this stuff. Like, oh my God, good news. Like Eli Lilly is saying <laughs> insulin is now free, all this stuff, right? Little do they know this is a fake account, uh, basically just pulling a prank. And so then what happens is Eli Lilly's official account goes on and says, hey, um, actually, that was a fake account. This is our real account. Uh, nothing's actually changing to insulin, right? Then what happens is like not only Eli Lilly, but also the other uh, brands that produce insulin. Uh, Momo, you can maybe touch on those. It's uh, Sanofi and Nova Nordisk. Yeah, so all three of these companies yeah. take a nosedive in their stock price on Friday. Uh, and so I was just doing the math quickly right here. It looks like Eli Lilly got you know their market cap right after this all transpired, went down about $20 billion. So a couple oh tweets God. and they're now worth $20 billion less. So Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot to talk about here. Um, I think one of the things that uh, let's start with is just this whole Twitter blue um, <laughs> shenanigan. Um, I know we had mixed thoughts on what Twitter blue and, and the whole concept behind it and paying $8 a month for verification. Let's start with that. Muhammad, what are your thoughts on uh, this whole thing? I think they took it down now, right? 
yeah, it's still I up. Think it's, no, I, I think thought it's it was down. still up. They took it. They took it down. I'm pretty sure for tem- yeah. like temporarily, it's down. They're gonna have to keep it down for a good minute. <laughs> yeah, until they figure something out. <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> I, I mean, I I thought it was. I mean, like from a revenue perspective, I thought it was pretty smart. Where you're gonna you're you're immediately making money from users, right? Like if you ask a lot of people, right, or you ask your your mom or your dad, they're like, "How do how does Twitter make money? How does Facebook make money?" And they don't understand because it's free, right? And they don't understand like that, that it makes money off of ads. But then when you add this other aspect to it, it's like this whole other source of revenue. But at, like, I was like, okay, I, I feel like I would get, I would pay eight bucks and get, you know, a blue check. But at the same time, like uh, Chima was saying, yeah, it loses all exclusivity. I feel like once everybody had it, I would probably stop paying. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's like, the thing is, in my mind, right, <laughs> when you think of the blue check, it's like you, you reach a certain number of followers and you start getting impersonation accounts and then the blue check is like, oh, this is the legit one, right? If you can just yeah. pay for, you know, like a check, that doesn't actually make you like have a big audience or a big following or anything like that, right? All it does is like yeah. add a check to your profile. And, and now that it's not exclusive anymore, it's just like anyone can do it, right? So I think it's the same thing with like YouTube channels, right? The, you know, people say that the subscriber count is like a vanity metric or whatever, right? Really what matters is watch time and, and these things. And that's true. But at the same time, like, there's so many like imposter accounts on YouTube, like Mr. Beast two, Mr. Beast three, Mr. Beast like real, you know, all this stuff. And there's how do you know which one's real? You have that little check, and then you also see the number of subscribers on that channel. Yeah. Right. And so when you see a hundred million subscribers, it's like, okay, that's a legit Mr. Beast. That's the one, mm. not just like some random kid in uh, some other country <laughs> taking remixes of the videos and reposting them. You know what I mean? And then yeah. commenting on other Mr. Video, Mr. Beast videos. Hey, check out my channel. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. So I think that's the one piece of it is like, especially like coming back to the brand builders, entrepreneurs and that kind of thing is if you have a product and you can create this source of exclusivity, like Mama, I think we talked about this on maybe one of the episodes you were on, or maybe we didn't talk about it, but like, if you remember when Apple released their iPod, like what color were their headphones? White. Actually, this is a good example right now. If you're watching on YouTube, like yeah. Momo, what color are your headphones? Like the wire. Uh, oh, the wire is blank. Yeah, Muhammad, are yours Apple or are they? No, I've got Sony's. Sony's. Oh, bro, I know the Sony's. Those are Sony's for sure. Yeah, yeah XM4s. Yeah. XM4s, anyway, at, at the time, like when they did this, Apple was the only one to actually have white headphone wires, right? Yeah. And everyone else was like standard black, black, black. And so that made it so that like anytime you saw these white um, headphone wires, it was like, oh, that's an Apple iPod. Right, and then yeah. if you remember the the iconic ads at the time with the silhouettes, iconic, iconic, yeah. iconic yeah. ads, and, yeah. and all you have is like those wires, the white little wires. It's just like, man, it just kind of imprints that in your mind. Is like, look, Apple is exclusive, right? And you're you're different, that kind of thing. So they got think, me as a twelve year old with that. I yeah, that. I think like with, with it, I think for me it's surprising, like Musk being someone who has somewhat like this larger than life personal brand that he does, where he can literally just do whatever he wants like bro like okay, the boring so, company what's yeah, interesting though what's interesting though is that um also working at a social media company um there is a security aspect to this where i know that companies are having conversations to create something alongside a blue check mark whether it is a blue check mark or not to know who's real and who's not because it, it may just be like 
even a if bot. it's not a blue check mark, it's 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 not a bot, right? And so mm-hmm. if you can know that this is at least a real person, and then you have people who are verified or whatever later on, but creating some sort of even if it if he starts at eight dollars and everybody buys in because they're like, oh, I got a blue check mark, but it's just a really easy way to get people signed on to the fact, and then making it free later, right? But now you just have a bunch of people who are on this platform who you know are not bots. And from a security perspective, it's kind of brilliant. Mm. That's, that's a good point because I, I, I remember, I don't know the details behind the whole Elon Musk Twitter. I think one of the reasons he said he was trying to get out of the whole Twitter deal was because of yeah. the bots, right? It was because of the bots, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I get it from a verification perspective, but I feel like to even get more buy-in from people, they would have had to have a genuine value added from that blue check. Besides it being a blue, just a blue check, like hey, you're paying eight bucks a month, right? There should be like features added, like for example, like LinkedIn Premium, when you pay that thirty dollars a month, right? Forty dollars? Yeah, that's why I, yeah. I was on the free trial that I stopped. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when you pay that, when you pay that extra uh, premium, there's genuine useful features that come with it. Oh, you'd be yeah. good for this job. Oh, who looked at your profile? Who did this? Yeah, yeah Twitter, yeah. you know. But uh, Elon was like, eight bucks. You get a blue check and you know what I'm saying? And like that, that is a commodity. Like, you know, like when, when I was on Twitter, like we sell a blue check as a verification for authenticity or like, Oh, what is this person doing to have a blue check? I remember one account that had a blue check that I was like, what? It was like Uber facts. It was like some random account that just had tweeted facts, random interesting facts out, but they have a blue check, but apparently they had a bunch of impersonators and that's why their account got the blue check. Right. So it was it was always like a point of intrigue and a point of like, okay, what is this person doing that they're verified on Twitter? You know, like even comedians and uh, TV personalities, when they get verified, it's like a certain level of I made it. When you right. open that up for like open access, eight bucks a month, I, I can afford eight bucks a month. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody really is that it's, it's cheaper than Netflix. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if I was really budgeting, I'd, I'd decrease my Netflix and, you know, get on Twitter. No, what happens though, I think you, what you're highlighting is that the actual day-to-day use changes, right? It goes from like the actual business model goes from um, like you're using for free. Now, if you want the actual legit Twitter, basically is what you're saying, like without bots, then you need to pay $8 a month to use it. Right. And so I I think like to Momo's point, you got to add some other value because people are used to using this at the free tier. Yeah. But, but that's not, but that's not the selling point. The selling point is not, Oh, it's a security thing. Oh, it's it's going to be something that you're going to use without bots. The selling point is initially is exclusivity because early on there you'll you'll be the one who has a blue check and your friends don't because you're going to be the first one to do it. And then people will carry on. That's why I said I was like when other people everybody starts getting a blue check, I'll probably stop paying because eventually then everybody will have a blue check. And at that point, I feel like you make it free. Yeah, and but, you accomplish what you needed. You have a secure platform. Why wouldn't you just make it free from the onset? From the job, yeah. Money. You just made a bunch of money, and you're not incentivizing anyone to to make it uh, to like buy in. But now you're selling exclusivity, right? Exclusivity sells, and at the, anybody who jumps onto this first, and people then see other people doing it, they're just going to start. I feel like it's just people do what other people do, and because it's going to start out as an exclusive thing at least for the first six months or even a year, people, I think, will buy into it. It's not something that can last, I don't think. Mm, interesting. Uh, the other thing, uh, I know we want to talk about a couple of things. One of the things I want to talk about is 
just like Elon Musk as uh, a brand builder, right? Like he has this massive personal brand. He's built the most valuable company in the world. Uh, not the most valuable company in the world, but one of the most valuable companies in the world in Tesla, uh, right? We have SpaceX, we have Boring Company. We have a bunch of these other, uh, he's been a part of PayPal, right? So he's been a serial entrepreneur and he's done these things. I think what's surprising is that, um, you know, he, it seems like he tried to do too much all at once. And I, I mean, I think we know that that's a recipe for, uh, not success, right? I think in some scenarios it can work, but in general, like literally, I think he changed way too much at the same time and they didn't just, he just weren't able to react to the changes in time. Right. And so that's why we have, you know, Eli probably pretty upset with this, this whole thing because of, yeah. you know, just these massive sudden changes. This honestly, there's a few problems with it. Even the whole saga when he was buying Twitter, it seems so unprofessional. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just from a professionalism standpoint, I like how is this man got 44 billion? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. just to flex on spend on Twitter like that, and then he he's tweeting, "Oh, we're gonna do this to Twitter. We're gonna do this to Twitter." It's like it's basically like oh, like it's like you're, he was talking trash about what he like basically what he's gonna do like. It's like when you're playing with somebody in basketball, like, hey, man, I'm, I'm about to cross you. Get that court. <laughs> they just get that court and they're playing like trash. He got all the gear. He got everything. And it was just like it was too too unprofessional and too like, oh, I'm buying Twitter. I'm not buying Twitter. Too many bots, not enough bots. Oh, you're going to have to buy Twitter. The whole saga was crazy. And then when he came on and the sudden changes, I thought he was going to let it stew for a bit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. At least be there for like a little bit like, okay, Elon bought Twitter. Nothing's going to change for the time being. We're working on changes. He came in, half the company fired. <laughs> right? right Off the jump. Like half, some people were like, ah, oh, no, I'm just going to leave. And then he puts out this, you know, blue check system. He's like, I'm going to get money to Twitter immediately. Immediately backfire, right? And the right. biggest problem is, is we've talked about this on previous episodes, Shima, the problem of litigation now. You know what I'm saying? There is a genuine possible lawsuit that can happen from Twitter allowing this, uh, allowing this misuse of their platform to uh, like to like make almost everything th- seem authentic, right? There could be a genuine lawsuit at Twitter, and Twitter, I would imagine, does not have the money right now for a major <laughs> lawsuit. You know what I'm saying? So it was just in terms of that ter- that branding, it was too quick, too sudden, too abrupt, and too. Uh, I would say like Elonish. I would I would say like it, it's expected, but like. You don't expect that, you know, from a company. You know, he he's yeah, almost. It's, go ahead. It, it, it's almost it's almost not Elonish in the sense that, like, in this, he does this with his personal life, but he usually doesn't do business. Like, he knows how to run smart business. Yeah. And at, at the same time, like, all of this seemed like an ego move. Like, he came mm-hmm. in and he's like, "I'm going to make change right away." Like, somebody who knows business and who's developed successful companies understands that there's a change management process, right? Yeah. He knows yeah. this. And it yeah. just seemed like it was such an ego move to be like, I know better. I'm going to do this immediately. I don't have to think about making changes. I'm just going to make changes. And all of it was just about him. And I feel like from the entirety of his presence on Twitter is so ego driven. Like everything about Elon and t- Twitter is synonymous with ego. Like yeah. all, the Doge, all, all the Dogecoin stuff, all of the stuff where he says like, I can adjust the value of all these stocks, all of this crypto. I, like all, anytime he tweeted, it was just... Like I just felt like he was stroking his ego this entire time, and I feel like yeah. that's just what he associates that with. 
And I, to your point, I think what was conflated, right? You said he runs smart businesses, right? It's almost like this wasn't about business. It was yeah. his actual, you know, like his personality. This was a personal branding move almost, yeah. you know? Because it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, Tesla. Tesla was involved. It wasn't PayPal. It wasn't a company, right? Usually when he's, he's work, you know, in, working in those companies, whatever, he's making smart, slow moves. They're still Tesla still makes wild promises that they don't deliver on. But, you know, not as much as, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to get rid of all the bots. We're going to provide revenue right away. I, I saw some tweets where he was throwing the ideas out on Twitter. And people were like, hey, that's not a good idea. He was like, how about eight, eight bucks a month? Bro, you cannot freestyle <laughs> business ideas on Twitter. You know, it's just, it's just for kind Twitter. Of crazy on Twitter for Twitter. On Twitter for Twitter. <laughs> it's just so crazy that he's so rich that Twitter is his small side hustle that he doesn't. Right. That, that, <laughs> that is insane. I didn't even think about it like that, but it's insane that he's like, yeah, you know, I'll just pick up on this hot forty-four billion. Yeah, you know, that. hey, it'd be like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He can legit if he wants to just be like, nah, Twitter's over. Shut it yeah. down. Let's just shut it down. Yeah, exactly. Shut it down. Yeah, it's, that's crazy. It didn't. It didn't work out. It's yeah. Twitter. Twitter is his Falcon notes. <laughs> Boy, that's that, that, operation. Hey, hey. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. Say, I'm not saying shutting down. I'm saying it's a side hustle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, jabs taken. But okay. It, well, it felt like a jab. It definitely <laughs> yeah. felt like a jab. Uh, so, um, no, no, no. Uh, we're messing. So I, I think one thing that uh, Momo we talked about quite a bit is just the the ignorance step piece, right? So like. I think with any business that you kind of take over, like let's say if we're doing an acquisition, uh, and especially if like we're not, we haven't built businesses in that space. So Elon, while he's built businesses, right? He's built businesses in various domains, right? He has a lot of business experience. He doesn't necessarily, he hasn't built like a social media platform, right? And so there's a debt of ignorance that he has to pay, even though he's been a user and he's been an active user, still has a debt of ignorance to pay in terms of running a social media platform. And right, when you go in, you make these sweeping changes, right? Like a lot of times it could be like, you know, like you try these things and it's like, yeah, that's the reason we didn't try this is because X, Y, Z. And had you just like taken the time to listen and understand and really get a feel for the operation before you start making changes, you don't run into those uh, issues. But yeah, like moment, I think coming back to what you're saying, I think it, it really does seem like it's stemming off this ego thing where like he already feels like he knows how to run it better than everyone else. And so he's just going to make changes based on what he feels like doing. Right. So there, and like, like, and here's the thing with that approach. It's a double edged sword, right? And one side, all right, man. Okay. If you really love using Twitter, like, Oh my God, I don't know what this guy is about to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I really like using Twitter. What's going to change. Right. From another side, like as me, like I'm not a Twitter user. There's almost an excitement. Okay, like, what is he going to do? You know, am I coming back to Twitter? Am I going to use it again? Like, what could he do to get people back on Twitter or get more revenue from Twitter? There's an exciting aspect. Like, I'm with, I want to see it. I want to see what happens. But it doesn't look like it's going to be good. It doesn't feel like it's going to be good, you know? Yeah. But I'm still there. I want to I still see it. And I think from, like, his personal brand – it definitely adds to his personal brand. Is okay, founder of Tesla, PayPal, uh, all of those things, and oh, you know, a, a large majority stakeholder of Twitter. It's like definitely adds to his own name and builds his personal brand. But yeah, from a, just like a business perspective, I can't see how he's going to turn it around. You know? Yeah, I, I think let's let's discuss a little bit on the Eli Lilly side of things. Like, is there anything that they could have done to react to this whole situation and not lose twenty billion dollars of market cap? 
No. <laughs> there's, always, there's nothing. Honestly, and even if you look at their, their company's tweets, they're like, we are sorry. Patients are getting misinformation. You know what I'm saying? It was very, it was worded very carefully because they're not going to come out and be like, hey, look, insulin is not free and it's never going to be free. You know what I'm saying? They're not, they're not going to come out and say that after their their stock, their market cap went down $20 billion, right? So they're going to be very careful about what they say. They're going to be like, we're taking appropriate action to stop the spreading of misinformation about our company. Point blank period. Really sorry that this has happened. And our, our customers are getting inaccurate information. But they're not going to say, oh, you know, this is almost like, like the Dave Chappelle, the infamous, uh, you know, him going off in Detroit. Like people were yelling, we want our money back. We want our money back. And that's when he woke up. He's like, listen here, city of Detroit, you will never get your money back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah. and it, basically that's what Eli Lewis said. Like, hey, look, it's never going to be free. But they didn't want, obviously they didn't say it like that. They had to be very, very careful. Like whoever worded yeah. their tweets yeah, and their response was yeah, very calculated in their verbiage. So that's the really the best <laughs> thing they could have done. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm saying like two things though, right? Like at the yeah. end of the day, could, okay, the question is, could they have done anything to salvage not losing $20 billion in market cap? But the other thing is, does it matter, right? Like, does it really matter that this happened to them? Because in the sense that, okay, what, they lost like 6%, right? Mm-hmm. 6% in their stock price. Will that probably be back in like two weeks to a month? Like, and... Everybody will forget this, like forget this ever happened, and like while it's somewhat of a brand dent, right? I don't know. I I don't think it matters that much, right? Like like Momo said, it's a commodity that is needed. It's a life saving medicine, and it's fairly exclusive, and and and, like people will need it, and they're going to continue to pay whatever the price is. Yeah. So to that point, right? Like I guess the discussion we can have here is that like. Let's say you have a brand or a company that provides a, a service or a product that um, is deemed necessary or like essential to life, right? And you're making a pretty high margin on it. Anytime that comes to light, people are naturally going to be upset about it, right? So if you're a brand builder or you're the person calling the shots here, what's the right thing to do um, to preserve your brand in the long run? Honestly, yeah, the really like you can't really, you know, they can't go down on the price, right? They can't change much about that. Is is my mic sound good, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Okay, but they can't really change much on the price. They can't change, you know, like how insulin is given. Really what the best thing they could they could do is respond quickly in time like we've said in terms of managing, you know, uh like disasters like this, respond quickly and promptly and address the situation head on. But from a marketing perspective and a branding perspective, really like they, they can come out with like some statistics because a lot of the money that, you know, the cost of insulin goes towards insurance, goes towards kickbacks, rebates, all those things to cover what the actual patient pays for, right? With insurance and a lot of things, most people are not paying that full price of insulin. So they can come out with stats and say like, okay, our insulin actually doesn't cost this much. There's, there's how much it costs in comparison mm. and all those things. But there's besides that, I mean, this is just really on Twitter. It wasn't their fault. Like, Eli Lilo was minding their business, got shot, <laughs> took some yeah. L's on Twitter over yeah. the weekend, and their stock price went just down. Just c- collateral damage. 
but, Miss collateral yeah. damage. No, I think Momo, you bring up a really good point. Is that like if misinformation is coming out like this, or like let's, I mean, according to Eli Lilly, it's misinformation, right? Like I know this is a hot topic, and <laughs> we're not trying to get canceled or anything right here. We're just talking about general principles for branding. Um, and so I think one of the things Momo you're highlighting is what you should do is just highlight where the money's actually going, right? Let's say you're a, a business and you need that margin to do these other things, right? A good move to do is if people are calling out your high margins, call out where the margins is going and be transparent with that to earn the trust back with your audience. Go into the CEO's pockets. What do you mean? They're, they're not going to be transparent about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but yeah. I mean, like, yeah, you know, so basically, yeah, it, it, for corporations and large corporations, yeah, probably it's best to just be like, oh, Twitter, you need to fix your misinformation thing. But <laughs> yeah. for, for like small businesses and the people that are listening to, yeah. to us, like yeah, most yeah, likely yeah. you're not just making millions yeah. of dollars for your CEO. So 100%. Yeah. I'm assuming you guys have some like actual expenses and stuff. That you no, 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 no. I'll, I'll tell you a good, a good example of it. It's like, have you ever seen like, I'm sure all of us have friends or people you see it on Facebook, people that you do from high school or whatever, selling shirts or selling merch. And they're like, bro, charging 50 bucks a hoodie. I'm like, yeah. bro, this is, this is printed off colorware or whatever that, that was like, you know what I'm saying? Why am I going to pay 50 bucks, 50 bucks for that hoodie, right? Yeah. Then in that case, you can explain like, okay, look, it costs us this much to do that. And, you know, we're trying to make this, we make only this much profit and a small percentage goes towards donation or towards this good cause, getting a hoodie for like, you know, like some kids in Africa are not going to use hoodie, but I don't know, like getting a hoodie for like, you know, somebody who's disenfranchised. Right, right, yeah, yeah. If you like explain that, then that make that makes me more willing to spend that fifty bucks. You know what I'm saying? But like, if you're just charging fifty bucks I, for a generic I hoodie, I don't know that people have to explain that, and I don't know. No, that no, like you, that. you don't. You don't. You don't, you, don't you don't. But if people are calling you out for your specifically for your high margins, right? fair. Okay. Like, and if that's if a, that's the feedback you're getting, then the only response is, look, I get it seems high. But it's really not, and here's why. You know? Yeah, and then uh, there's. I think there's a couple of brands that do this kind of thing where they're like their whole brand is built on this level of transparency. I can't think of the names right now, but basically what they do is like they they like you can say X percent goes back into operations and. and Does, doesn't and Patagonia anyway. do this? I don't know about Patagonia, but uh, there's there's a clothing brand that does it right, and they say like, hey, this is how much our actual cost for the product costs. This yeah. is how much we're spending on marketing, all this stuff. Um, and so what that does is like, even it doesn't like, like you said, you know, one of the tactics people use is like, we donate X percent to charity, all that stuff. You don't even have to donate to charity. Even just having the transparency to say, this is what margin we're making at the end of the day will be enough, in my opinion, to uh, build some trust with your audience. They know where the money is going at least, right? And so um, I think that's one of the powerful tactics you can use to build trust with your audience. If you're in a space where there is a lack of trust, right? So definitely like you don't want to just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend just start going and saying where you're spending all your money and stuff. Yeah, if yeah. you're in a space where that doesn't really, people are not, you know, valuing that. But if you're in a space like, for example, like high-end clothing, where like these, uh, for example, these, me and Momo are wearing the same glasses, right? We probably got them for like 20 bucks, right? Yeah, yeah. Probably, on Amazon. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it probably cost, it probably cost these people like, you know, $2 to make it and all that stuff. Um, and then the same stuff like Gucci or whatever is selling for like 300 bucks. 
right? And so if you're in this space, I think it can go a long way to just be like, hey, this is how much margin we're making and all this stuff, just so you can say, hey, this is the same actual quality product that you're getting in these high-end brands, but we're taking this much less margin, right? And then that can yeah. earn your trust. But uh, again, like it's not for everyone, and I don't think everyone should do it, but it is a tactic you can use to build trust with your audience. Any other thoughts before we close, guys? Yeah, speaking of trust, I just want to, and this could be a whole separate episode about specifically branding for uh, pharmaceutical companies or medical companies, right? There's a lot of trust, right? Anytime, you know, I tell people, you know, I'm a pharmacy or I'm a pharmacist or whatever. Yeah, big pharma, you're working for big pharma, you know, do this. And there's a lot of mistrust, right? Specifically around pharmaceutical companies, how much their medications cost and things like that. So speaking to your point, I think it would be go a long way to build that trust by being transparent, right? By being like, okay, you know, this is how much it costs us to make. This is how much we're spending on things, et cetera, et cetera. And also by just, you know, realizing that like pharmaceuticals and medical, medical supplies and things like that, they're not necessarily a traditional commodity where as in the sense like who you're marketing to, is who you're, who's buying. You know what I'm saying? At the mm. end of the day, the buyers are really going to be the people who buy in are the doctors that are going to be writing the prescriptions or recommending these things to their patients and then insurance companies that are going to cover them, right? So that's really the branding that you're going to. So it, it's a whole other field of like, okay, how to market, who's, my, who's actually my consumer? The end user is going to be the patient, right? But who's, who's, actually, who's actually putting money for my product, right? So then it, it becomes a whole nother field of branding, marketing, reach out, all those things. It switches up the entire game and trust plays a huge factor because the general public has a general mistrust to pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, and, companies. and we talked about this last week with the, uh, you know, Gen Zers generally having this um, mistrust and they, they, they place a big value on transparency and authenticity, right? Yeah. And so as we see more and more Gen Zers you know, needing to buy from big pharma. Uh, I think one of the ways to really position, I guess like you don't really have as much control with big pharma because it's just the doctor prescribes it and you take it. So maybe yeah. they don't need to, but no, 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 no. It is actually, if you notice with, I've not specifically with Gen Z patients in general, there's like a general trend. I've haven't really seen data, but there's way more patient autonomy involved with the younger generations. Right. Really? Me and you, I, like, I, I know when I go to a doctor, I'm like, all right, man, you know, what is he going to say? Whatever, you know, I might disagree. I might, but he's a doctor, you know what I'm saying? Just right. patient autonomy. Like, patient autonomy is like, okay, I am the patient. This is the drug that I want. I've seen a bunch of TikToks and it works for a bunch of people. <laughs> and I yeah. want you to give me this drug. And patients actually do this. This is very common to go to the doctor's yeah. office. Okay, I have this issue. I, I do that. I did the self-research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't do that, really. It's like, I did the yeah. self-research. This is the drug I want, and you should prescribe it to me. The doctor's going to be like, your insurance doesn't cover it. It's going to need a bunch of steps. And then the patient will call, personally call their insurance. Hey, why isn't this covered? Uh, you know? So there's, it definitely, with this younger generation moving, getting older, right, and needing medications, and even with this younger generation, they're using more pharmaceuticals, for example, for antidepressants and things like that. Mm -hmm. They have a large percentage of the market and using that, right? So with them being able to, like having a lot of autonomy over the med medications they take, you could see more direct-to-consumer marketing, right? You could, mm. that could benefit those companies 
as they get older, right? As those patients get older. But you're like, you're right. It is a very delicate of like, okay, like who's actually influencing, you know, who's buying this drug, right? But I could see it in the future making it being a bigger impact. If you're the one calling the shots at Eli Lilly, what do you you guys do? I don't know, man. I'd run a promotion or something. (laughs) So, so, so So on the back door, on the back door. Yeah, because you know these these execs that knew know each other and 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 like I don't know at what media company it was, but I I really do feel like Eli Lilly made some calls to some some news outlets and I was even watching there was like this this YouTube reel of this girl and she was like this person is a hero and this is awesome and the, what this person did is great and I saw that like the same same type of format but it was like a one minute news clip. And at the end of it, she was like, you know, this, this was all a mistake, misinformation, whatever, whatever. Eli Lilly actually has uh, some really good programs for people who can't afford um, insulin that like are available to consumers. I don't think that that was an accident. Like why would, you know what I mean? Like why would they share that? Why would that be so pro Eli Lilly? I felt like some calls were made to me. Oh, there's definitely, bro. There's definitely calls made because, like, uh, in, instead of just like, this is the name, right? Because now the name Eli Lilly will be associated with the scandal. For most of for most of like Eli Lilly's like history that I've known of in my young life, I've only seen them. Okay, like, okay, they didn't get their earnings uh, up. You know, they had. You know, that's like it wasn't. They're not. They're not hitting news cycles. For negative things, Twitter. right? Yeah, yeah. They're not yeah. on Twitter. Nobody, yeah, yeah. nobody's tweeting at Eli Lilly. Hey, you, you guys suck for the. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's doing yeah. that, right? In fact, they're in just, fact, ninety percent of the population does not know that Eli Lilly. Exactly. Is. They're like a nameless company that yeah. just makes meds, makes money on the back end, right? And like, they're not on the news cycle like that. So I, I would say, I would. This is a relatively new experience, right, for Eli Lilly dealing with like backlash like this because now people are paying attention like okay why is insulin so expensive to begin with right i have something actually really interesting that i kind of just thought of i almost feel like you proceed to cut off momo (laughs) sorry i I thought you made him wrap up really but yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I think i I think it's really almost like these pharmaceutical companies don't want their brand to be out there. Mm. Like it it almost, you know what I mean? It almost seems like these pharmaceutical companies get a lot of backlash from side effects, from drugs, from all sorts of drugs. And they know that the patient is really not their consumer. They have to sell sell the hospitals. They have to sell the pharmacies, the pharmacies, Mm. they have to sell to all these other places. And so they don't give a crap if the general population knows who they are. People in the space need to know who they are, and they do that with credibility of their drugs and things like that. And so, yeah, it, it's really yeah. so when you when you get backlash like this, this is the worst thing. They don't they don't want the general population to know that Eli Lilly makes insulin. It has no budget. Yeah, mm. yeah. But I would I would agree with you, but I think on the flip end, right, with over the counter medications where there's easy easy sure. patient access, that's like Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. I know Johnson and Johnson. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everybody yeah. knows Johnson and Johnson, and Johnson and Johnson has actually been in a, quite a few scandals, right, <laughs> over their history. And the actually, I'd say, in terms of pharmaceutical companies, <laughs> they're probably the goats at dealing with backlashes. You know what I'm saying? Right. They know. Like Eli Lilly probably reaching out to some Johnson and Johnson <laughs> execs, like, "Yo, 
You know, like you guys dealt with this before. How do we handle this, right? Josh said Josh got in trouble with the with the poisoning in one of the facilities. They got in trouble with uh with uh their powder causing some 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 cancers, right? They were in a class uh class action lawsuit. They've gotten a lot of trouble over the years and they come back strong. And this they're even like they're they're even like they're still around, right? They're actually gonna split their company into like two or three companies, right? One is gonna be direct to consumer. One is going to be, you know, prescription medications, and one is going to be like, uh, like powders, all those things, right? They're that good. They're like, you know what? We're going to switch up the names. Johnson and Johnson's been around for too long, associated with too many things, right? They're gonna, you know, there's, they're actually so good at it, right? I feel like this is really, from my, to my knowledge, Eli Lilly's first time in this, you know, <laughs> and they're just like, look, man, it's not, look, sorry, misinformation. We don't know what to tell you. I, I, if I was somebody on insulin. That response, I'd be like, bro, you know, like do something, you know what I'm saying? Like right, right. heat to the pressure, but like they're not, they're obviously not, it, it affects their bottom line way too much. So it's just, it's just interesting to see really the dynamics and the, the factor that experience plays, you know, you know, into this, right? I bet you, like, for example, uh, talking about last week's episode, Adidas, they're going to be 100% certain whoever they're getting it deals with. It's not gonna go crazy, you know. What I'm saying? They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna make sure whoever they're deciding next. All right, man. Like, what's your history about these type, these types of things? What do you feel? They're probably gonna make some sign, some like you know, like uh, public, you know, public harmony agreement or something like that. I don't know <laughs> things like that. There's gonna be like a lot. They're gonna be thinking about this the next time they move forward, right? Yeah, so yeah, experience like really plays like. Yeah, like, like they're gonna they're gonna be careful who they make deals with. So it's really I think experience plays a big part into how, and then the name recognition also plays a big part into how these companies deal with these things. So it's just very interesting to see. I don't think I don't think they're gonna do much. They're just gonna hope it quiets down and uh, keep pushing. You know, <laughs> keep charging these prices. Yeah, I think what you highlighted, Muhammad, is uh, an interesting piece is that nowadays, even if you're trying, even if you know your target audience is not on social media and you're doing everything to just target those people, uh, there is a possibility because of this open access to information uh, all around, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all this stuff, that, you know, you could be brought to the public and the general population like this, like with Eli Lilly, right? Even if yeah. you're, yeah. if that's not what you want, right? So now it's you not, have to kind yeah. of be ready for it. And so in this situation, I think like, yeah. honestly, the way I think through it is like, uh, I think what you, I didn't know about that Johnson and Johnson thing, but I think that might be a good uh, way to go about it is like, you know, you, the, you know, the medications that are, you know, just marketing to doctors and stuff like that. You have a specific thing for there, a little bit more general, like, you know, things you have a different banner and then you really get behind the banner of like, Hey, we're trying to make this, we're working to preserve human life, right? That's your motto mm. or whatever. I don't know what their logo mm. is or their slogan is, but that's yeah. basically, if you're in pharma, it, that's what it should be. Right. Ideally. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so it's actually uh, making money. That's really the main purpose. That's our main purpose. You know, we're just trying to make well, money. Course, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> If you get into enough scandals, you get pretty good at dealing with them. I think that's yeah. where Johnson, Johnson's uh, yeah. you know, skill and, sets and come into play. They're goats. They're goaded. Right. Pharma so, company scandal handlers. 
Yeah, so I mean, what I would do is really like on the D to C side is whatever brand you set up there is like you, you double down on the messaging around, hey, this is how we're testing these products. This is how we go through this. And you do a lot of content around that, right? Like, yeah. uh, hey, these are our facilities where we're actually testing this product, XYZ. We use mice to test this. We use this to test that. This is how this works. And like, you, you know, I don't know that it's going to you know, control all your damage that you're getting from this kind of thing. But at least you'll have a, you know, a little customer facing thing that you can at least point back to. And you have, um, you know, a brand there that speaks to those people that are looking to preserve life. And then you can at least yeah. have a little bit more transparency on that side of things too, where, Hey, this percentage goes to this, that, the other thing. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get involved in this discussion, please go to our YouTube page and leave a comment. Check out Branding Deep Dive on YouTube. Now, here are my key takeaways. Number one, exclusivity. Think of ways to make people feel like they're part of an exclusive community. And number two, the best response to misinformation is transparency. And that is all for this episode. We'll see you next week.